Hey, uh, what's up, beautiful human animals? This is Tony Fluvial, and welcome to the Hangry and Horny Podcast. Before I introduce you to my next guest, I would like to give a shout out to my sponsors at F-Bomb Nut Butters. They make delicious macadamia-based nut butters that are great for the go, for a snack, or even for a light meal. Go to dropanfbomb.com and check out their delicious variety packs. They make macadamia with salted chocolate and with coconut. They have a pecan version and one of my favorites, macadamia with sea salt. They also carry avocado oils, MCT oils, and olive oil. So go to dropanfbomb.com and use the promo code FLOWREAL, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L, and get 20% off your first order. My next guest is a dear friend of mine who I met a couple years ago through the Wim Hof group. We actually had a mutual friend that thought we should meet up. And Wim Hof, by the way, is the Iceman who set the Guinness Book of World Records like 20 different times with different stunts and feats. And one of them was putting his body under ice for nearly two hours. So Wim Hof basically teaches how people can get happy and healthy and strong using his method. And so my next guest, Scott Riley, who hails from Northern Ireland, he used to suffer from rheumatoid arthritis, was overweight and depressed and anxious and decided that, you know, he needed to make some changes. He was on some toxic medication. And so using juicing and exercise, plant medicines from the jungle in Peru, and the Wim Hof method, he was able to completely heal himself. And now he teaches other how they can transform their bodies and their lives. So please give it up to Scott Riley from Northern Ireland and Causeway Living. Peace, everybody. Enjoy. And we are live. What's up, Scott Big Richard Riley? <laughs> How's it going, Tony? This podcast oh, has been good. a long time in the making, right? Yeah, last time I was here was back in January, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just a bunch of stuff going on. You actually got sick, mm. so it was a little tough to record then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was a pretty tough time, to be honest. It's yeah. probably been interesting, like with you being here in January while I was having like a you know, a dip in the roller coaster and, and not coming back later in the summer and things are going a lot better. So, uh, yeah, lots changed since then. Um, and before we actually get in deeper, I just want to let everybody know that I like purposely didn't eat 
and drink any water so i'm gonna be really hangry <laughs> do i does that mean i have to cover the horny part yeah i think so buddy. okay, okay. <laughs> uh, i don't know if we'll get into that today but that box is ticked oh <laughs> yeah yeah you've definitely been luckier <laughs> anyway <laughs> so yeah buddy let's go into like your your journey man you've had quite a journey the last few years you certainly had well first of all we're in bangor ireland northern ireland Iron, Northern Iron, Northern Iron, <laughs> and um, so let's get into like what happened when you uh, were like depressed, overweight, and you had suffered from rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty uh, rough time. Probably like 2014 was the the rock bottom point, summer of 2014. So yeah, just over four years ago now. Okay. And uh, seven stone overweight, which is like 45 kilograms for uh, those crazy Europeans and their metric system. <laughs> yeah. So 45 kilograms overweight. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. That so that's like 90 plus pounds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like almost 100 pounds, which was pretty crazy. Really? Um, yeah. And so I, I was really overweight. Uh, like you mentioned, I had rheumatoid arthritis, but at that stage, it had gotten really, really bad. Um, I was struggling to get up and down the flight of stairs to the apartment where we are right now. And, right, uh, right. And how old are you at that time? Uh, so I was 26 at the Very time. young. Very young to have a condition like that, especially because most people associate arthritis as like some kind of old person condition. But the type of arthritis that I had is an autoimmune disorder. So that can affect like even kids or people at any age. It's more a case with um, the other kind of arthritis, osteoarthritis, that affects older people because it's just like wear and tear on the joints. Whereas the kind of arthritis I had is your immune system goes hyperactive and starts attacking your own body. So... Uh, it's in a family of conditions, autoimmune disorders, so rheumatoid arthritis. Somebody, if they have an autoimmune disorder, it might manifest as like Crohn's disease. So that's like inflammation in the gut. Other people might have like psoriasis if it's a skin disorder, but it's all back to this root cause of your immune system going haywire. And and for me, it was rheumatoid arthritis. So uh, crazy swelling in the joints. Like I said, up and down a flight of stairs would have been sore for my knees. Opening a door handle or brushing my teeth would have hurt my joints in my hands. And and so did they know what the cause is? Like does medical science understand like what's causing this type of condition in people? Not really, but it's um, well-reasoned speculation that it's stress-related. And uh, it's probably no surprise that in this day and age that autoimmune disorders are like, you know, it's so hot right now. <laughs> it's so popular, right? Yeah, right. It's like trendy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So. But not stopping. It's like skyrocketing. Yeah. Um, more and more people are, you know, starting to have symptoms of these type of conditions that autoimmune conditions. Yeah. And um, so it's it's kind of not a surprise that it's like stress related because, you know, we're born into a world that we're not really evolved to deal with and people are in low level stress all of the time. And part of my journey since that like rock bottom point that we touched on there has been learning a lot about health from different angles and I've really started to get a better understanding of the nervous system through things like the Wim Hof method and uh, what our buddy Casper was teaching through strong fit and uh, yeah to see that I was basically locked in that fight or flight state in the low level stress all of the time and 
you know, through that developed a, a pretty weak nervous system and the ability and vagus nerve or vagal tone and, and my ability to go back into that rest and digest state. Was okay. Just, so just for the audience, like what is the vagus nerve and what's the importance of that in the body? So, um, within the, the nervous system, um, there's the two well-recognized states. And even though like our buddy Casper's working on, you know, looking into uh, that. Casper Vandermoylen, everybody, he's going to be on uh, episode 18. This is episode 19. Yeah, exactly. Um, so but at the minute, the standard model shows, um, you know, the sympathetic nervous system or fight or flight and the parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and digest. And uh, most people are basically stuck in the sympathetic nervous system all of the time, low level stress, because we're really not evolved to deal with things like traffic, bills, emails, constant uh, screen time, you know, just like bombarding our system and putting us in a, a state of low level stress being hangry and horny. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, yeah, that's basically like too much of the good stuff <laughs> right right because stress has become a kind of dirty word nowadays but like stress is a really good thing i think the problem is the fact that we're just always in stress and even if it is low level and that's where i believe like these autoimmune disorders are so common nowadays that uh, i know for sure like so I, I touched on that rock bottom point in june 2014 but like that's the that's the bottom of a journey that was maybe I don't know, like over a decade of low level stress, you know? So at some point my body just that, that low level stress and the inflammation that's symptomatic of being in the sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight, just like locked into place. Right. So it was like a super saturation point. It was the straw that broke your back basically. I believe so. And you know, again, it's just all like highly reasoned speculation, but, um, everything that I've been learning over the last four years since getting my health back, losing all of the weight, four years, no symptoms, no pharmaceutical drugs, seems to be that the more I align myself with how the body is evolved to cope naturally, so with a balanced nervous system, the better I feel. And I believe that many other people would benefit from that. So that's so medical science says that once you have an autoimmune condition, it's like almost incurable, like essentially you're kind of stuck with that for life and you've basically shown otherwise. Yeah. So they also call it like a chronic illness, which means that you just don't get better, apparently. <laughs> and, um, and you were on a bunch of pharmaceutical medication crazy pharmaceutical drugs um ones that are used as like uh anti-cancer treatment and other like medication that was so strong that i was going for a blood test every two weeks just for the medication that i was on like not even to do with the condition that i was suffering from so yeah needless to say i really wanted off the the pharmaceutical drugs because i mean i was pretty scared to be honest if like i'm having to go for a blood test every couple of weeks just for that drug like what is that doing to my system and worse still it wasn't having any positive effect at that time anyway right so. right and so i mean are you anti-pharmaceutical or i definitely think they have their place for some people you know um the problem i believe is there's nothing like a drug isn't good or bad you know it's maybe sometimes the motive or intent behind that i think and with the pharmaceutical industry uh, it's kind of set up that there's no money 
to cure people, but there's a lot of money to cure symptoms and get people taking the same drugs over and over right, again. Right, right. So, I mean, for people that are suffering, it has its, its role. Yeah. But there's also another option, right, with choice and lifestyle and yeah. nutrition and better sleep. And so let's get into, like, how you were able to wean off of these pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. in your specific case. You're not necessarily recommending that for anybody else, but um, for education purposes and information <laughs> purposes, like, what was it that you did that enabled you to, like, get better? Well, I really appreciate you saying like um, we're going to touch on my story, but being mindful that this isn't like a path for everyone. And my path was pretty extreme. And why probably since I've gone on to learn more practical, sustainable things beyond that. But I'm definitely excited to share my story because in order for me to get better, it was really important to hear other people's stories about how they got better. And there was other extreme stories that I heard. Uh, but it was a big source of inspiration. And then I came to learn that me telling, just telling my story could be a source of inspiration for someone else to do the same. So, yeah, I took some pretty big leaps and um, it got to that rock bottom point where if I'm 100% honest, it was because it's a chronic illness, but not terminal. Like I was looking maybe another 40, 50 years maybe of being like massively overweight and in so much pain every day and then understandably probably mental health is just terrible like <clears throat> I allowed myself to get completely isolated as well then I I would go to the shop at like 11 p.m when I knew no one was around because I was quite ashamed of my appearance and I just didn't couldn't face another 40 to 50 years like that I had to do <clears throat> I had to give myself I had to know within myself that I tried everything possible. And then even if I was still sick, at least I could live with the fact that like I've tried everything. And um, that led me to the internet. You know, we're lucky enough to live in an age where uh, the information age where it's possible to look into um, other alternative health practices and take your health into your own hands. If the, you know standard western medical system has failed you and it works well for some people but it unfortunately or fortunately didn't for me (laughs) right depends uh, on how you look at it totally and um so yeah i took to the internet yeah dr uh, google (laughs) dr google yeah yes and he recommended a few things to me um the first two things that i came up with were the plant medicine treatments in south america so ayahuasca and huachuma and um, the other thing that I discovered online that people had got a lot of benefit from that suffered from autoimmune disorders was juice fasting. So I booked the trip to South America. So first of all, like, how did you even know what ayahuasca or wachuma was? Like, did you like type in rheumatoid arthritis, how to heal this? And that's what came up? Or you actually heard about plant medicines from another source? I'd heard about them uh, quite a, I don't know, maybe like six months or so in the past. Like I started getting into things like the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, a lot of different podcasts, to be honest. And one of them that really spoke out to me was Aubrey Marcus's podcast whenever he was on the Joe Rogan experience. Okay. And he talked a lot about Huachuma and Ayahuasca. And it always stuck in the back of my head as something that was fascinating. And 
even though when he was talking about it, it wasn't really specifically related to health, uh, like physical health issues, but maybe more like mental health issues like depression, anxiety, PTSD, addiction. Uh, but there was a there's a huge you know correlation between depression and anxiety and autoimmune disorders you know so something that stuck in the back of my head related to that and I'm not sure whether it was something that I'd seen maybe like following maps the uh, you know they were doing a lot of investigation into how uh, psychedelics um, or entheogenic medicine can really impact the body in different ways but I was aware of it before I came to think of it as something that might be able to help with my uh, health condition okay so now you're actually booking a trip to South America yeah so last desperate act basically <laughs> you know last roll of the dice here because feeling like um, pre feeling pretty hopeless to be honest right up until before this point because Two years before I've even got to this stage, there was one pharmaceutical drug that did work for me for about six months. And uh, and that was kind of awesome at the time. You know, I, I got sick and then it took them a long time to find a pharmaceutical drug, but eventually there was one that worked pretty well. And uh, then whenever I got my health back then, I took up cycling. I did the Mara cycle, which is like Belfast to Dublin, 112 miles or something cycle, raised money for arthritis research, everything going really well. And then it stopped working. <laughs> so really just like that. Yeah. I think my body just uh, adapted. You know, yeah. Pretty much. So. Down regulated. And I think it was that was like even harder to take than whenever I got diagnosed as unwell in the first place. So uh, you had like a glimpse of hope and then it was taken away from you. Yeah. And then I think that caused me to think like, well, you know, if they f ever find another pharmaceutical drug again, then it's just going to stop working as well. And I might only ever have like these six month windows for the rest of my life, if even. So uh, that forced me into looking into alternative um, measures as well. But it also caused me to, before that, become quite hopeless, really thinking like um, it's you know, I'm never going to uh, get my health back altogether. So, uh, yeah, I booked that trip as a, a last desperate act, more or less. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, then one of the best things that just booking that trip gave me was it was like a motivation to start doing other positive things for myself because I knew that, like, I booked the trip in June 2014, but I wasn't able to go until January 2015. Uh, there was a specific um, place at the retreat center in Peru, and they were doing a, a particular kind of ceremony and, and retreat there in the January. So they only take like 20 people at a time as well. So it's also hard to get in there. So I had this six month block time period of booking the trip and before I was actually going. And that gave me like a uh, motivation just to do anything and everything I could to help myself before I was actually flying there to give myself the best chance of that actually working for me. So. Right. And usually as far as I remember and know from my own personal experience going to these type of uh, places is that they prepare you before with like a nutritional type of thing where you like cut out a little bit of salt and you mm -hmm. come out and cut out a little bit of meat you know, and prepare your body for these type of plant medicine experiences. 
Totally. Uh, they call it a dieta where they advise you to, you know, cut out certain uh, the retreat center I went to things like pork and salt and certain spices. I've since come to learn that different places have different traditions of giving things up. And mm. I personally believe that it's maybe just more about like the sacrifice of giving something up and also the idea of like maybe not putting so much processed stuff into your body and even at that time though it, it really did get into my head and some of the stuff that had searched online from like forums about the plant medicines was that the more clean your body is when you go there the better chance you have of it working for you and then also the less rough of a ride you might have because um a symptom of the plant medicine experience, particularly ayahuasca, is what they call purging. So throwing up, if you're lucky, might come from the other end if you're unlucky. Yeah, or both at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fortunately, because I went there like super clean. So in that six month time period, I like went it straight into this whole juice fast uh, protocol that I discovered through different documentaries. We can definitely talk about that too. But um yeah, that was really important for me in that six months to clean my body as much as possible to to go there and yeah, uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but it, that paid off big time. Like I uh, didn't purge physically so much. Like I maybe threw up a couple of times in a, a lot of different ceremonies. You know, I probably had an easier ride physically than uh, a lot of the other people that were attending. But yeah, maybe maybe that's jumping a bit far ahead. Maybe it'd be good to touch on the juice fast in particular. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned a couple of documentaries that you had watched. So you certainly did your research on Dr. Google and looked at all these different uh, options and found a couple of movies that touched upon uh, juice fasting. Yeah. So there's one, uh, I think it's on Netflix at the moment, actually, for anyone listening to this who wants to watch it. But it was called Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead. And it sounds kind of grim, but it is really positive documentary. It's by an Australian guy called Joe Cross. And he was in a really similar situation to me. He had an autoimmune disorder as well, like a skin disorder, though. So in the same family, but symptoms were showing differently. He was very overweight and highly stressed. And to put it in a nutshell, he went 60 days on a juice fast, you know, a couple of months solid and basically was off his medication by the end of it and lost loads of weight and all the things that I was inspired to to do as well. So that was a massive inspiration for me. And then as fate would have it, like it's funny how these things pop up at the right time, but another documentary was just being released as I watched that first documentary. And the second one was called Super Juice Me and it came with a 28 day plan. So I figured, you know, I'm going to take the best of both documentaries, take that 28-day plan, put it back-to-back -back plus a few days to bring it up to 60, just because I liked that idea from the first one and went for it. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it was really, really, really tough for a couple of weeks. You know, my diet up until that point was terrible. Like, I was just eating junk food all the time and, uh, like, comfort food because I just felt you know my mental health was that was like the only pleasure you had in life as kind of pathetic as that sounds it's true you know like it's kind of it's even to even put it like that it really hits at home for me right so that's starting to make me empathetic of people that do eat for comfort yeah. and you know and, and end up being overweight 
And it's like the only thing in their life. I don't know for all the years that I'm thinking about this, like it just finally hit me right now, like why we eat for comfort. But if that's like the only thing that you have to give you pleasure in life, like that totally gets me a different uh, frame of mind when I see people that are overweight or obese. Yeah. And I don't even think it's a conscious thing necessarily. I don't even think like a maybe a very overweight person like myself would think about it in that way. But like whenever you analyze it, it's very true. Mm. At least whenever I look back on it in my circumstance, it probably was like one of the few pleasures even though it is a very very short-term pleasure of you know uh good chemicals released in the brain when you eat that sugar or saturated fat or uh yeah that was that was one of the few things that was good about life at that time even though it's not very good right which we talked about the pharmaceutical industry and now we touch on the food industry and how they actually design food to be addictive so now you're munching on all kinds of delicious things that don't really have much nutrients totally and and that's addictive yeah totally so And sometimes I struggle and maybe it doesn't matter that much really what the truth of it is. But uh, I don't think that there's like this like little dark room where like five rich old white guys sit around and go, (laughs) we'll make this food super addictive and we'll make these drugs to make them better for it. And maybe there is. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The whole conspiracy theory (laughs) of like the uh, five richest families that control like the bank system and the government and the food and the pharmaceuticals. And they get together every year (laughs) in their little dark room and, you know, (laughs) plot this out to, you know, basically keep humans slaves to all these things and you can i can 100 percent see why like it's very easy to put those pieces together i don't know if it's as simple as that but and again maybe it is but uh i could also see and it feels more uh believable or realistic to me that like you know there's a company and it wants to make money and you know it sees that oh we can make this food delicious and you know they might be aren't thinking of it in terms of like we can make it addictive you know yeah even though that's the truth of it right and advertising and marketing designed to like oh. trigger us to think about those things and mm-hmm. you know and when you're hangry and horny and you're going shopping at the supermarkets like you're gonna go for the things that are shiny and, and look delicious <laughs> and make crunchy sounds and you <laughs> yeah. know salty fatty and i mean we understand that like fat is mm-hmm. not the culprit like we understand like um, that eating more fats actually really good for us, mm-hmm. but then everybody's different, right? So let's get back to uh, your case with mm. the juicing. What did you notice when you started juicing? Like like you said, the first couple of weeks were really hard. For sure. And like my body was definitely in withdrawal from things like sugar and salts. And uh, that was really tough. I also made the decision to and my course of pharmaceutical drugs at that time. So that's where things definitely get into the realm of like, I can't uh, prescribe that same action for anyone else. Yeah, that was the choice you made. Yeah, Yeah, you don't recommend anybody do that because normally the recommendation is to go talk to your doctor and have them give you a course of action to wean yourself off of these drugs. You went cold turkey. 
Yes. Wow. Yeah. So I stopped the drugs and stopped all the rubbish food and basically drank fruit and vegetable juices for two months. Those first two weeks going through that withdrawal were awful. But another really positive thing I did for myself in that time was getting as much movement as I could in each day. So whether that was like 10 minutes walk the first day and coming back and being in a lot of pain because of it. But it was still just something positive I could do for myself. And very quickly, you know, maybe even after two or three weeks, that was like 30 minutes. And after a month, I was like going for a walk for an hour every day around the block. And after six weeks, like it was the first time I got back on my bike for the first time again, which was just unbelievable. Like something I never thought I would do six weeks prior to that. So Yeah, so you're basically progressing over time, your activity level and not going balls to the wall right after the get-go. Yeah. And then over time started to build up your strength, your endurance, and uh, actually starting to notice some of your symptoms uh, disappearing oh yeah definitely like it, the symptoms are really falling away as the the time passed and i was able to do more of this stuff without really hurting myself and yeah it continued on for beyond the end of the juice fast i just continued to eat as cleanly as possible for the remaining four months before the trip to peru so when you were on the juice fast were you only doing juices or did you have other types of foods only juices so only fruit and vegetable juices wow really for two months yeah um but honestly like it was hard for two weeks but beyond that you just kind of get used to anything i think if you get like systematized and just like get into the habit of it. it it really wasn't as hard as i believe most people think it to be if you can get past that like couple of weeks and build those habits and um uh, yeah it was kind of okay yeah <laughs> so i mean a lot of people would quit what made you be able to persevere those first two weeks oh there was definitely moments where like i would have to go um in the times where i would go to the store and it was during the day uh, the fruit and vegetable section was right beside like the hot deli and i'd like smell this roasted chicken and be like so close a bunch of times to think like oh it's not gonna hurt me you know just one bit of chicken but then i always had this thought like i have to give myself zero excuses for why this doesn't work if if this doesn't work for me i don't want to have any excuse i have to stick to this as strictly as possible so if I get to the end of 60 days and I still have all my conditions, at least I can look back and say, well, I gave it absolutely everything. And so that was a huge motivation for me. Like the condition I had was so bad that I didn't want to give myself any excuses why what I was trying to do to help myself didn't work if that ended up being the case. So that was one thing. The trip to South America was another huge reason for my dedication to it, really. You know, I'd, I had this huge thing coming up on the horizon and I knew I just had to stick to it. You know, this was like... So, so you've had like two months into this and you still had another four months before your Peru trip. Yeah, yeah. Although saying that by like this stage in that like final four months, like things were looking a lot more positive. You know, I was um, being able to get back out on my bike again and... Uh, you know, feeling good and the time was ticking closer to going to Peru and I felt really good about that and really positive. So, um, yeah, I just continued to eat as cleanly as possible and I didn't really know necessarily what I was doing. So I was just eating as simply as possible, like chicken, fish, steamed vegetables, salad, like that was kind of it for about four months. But then 
after two months of eating no solid food like that's pretty awesome <laughs> so Absolutely. even that simple diet yeah simple diet but it was just still delicious right because then at this point you really started to appreciate food you started yeah. to notice your own like mental makeup in regards to food and certain uh ideas of like moving towards a goal that you had so you really gave it a shot by running if you were to look at it as like a science experiment you're like these are like the parameters that you're laying out Mm -hmm. and i can't go outside the parameters because i'm actually trying to see if this uh juice fast actually works that's a really good way to think about it yeah like it's you know i didn't want to ruin the like control you know like by (laughs) Uh, putting other things into the experiment so yeah um i continued to to eat really cleanly and also then by this stage the weight loss thing was a big motivation because i dropped a lot of weight in those two months and i was continuing to lose weight and i wanted to get back down to like a normal looking healthy person you know and um so that was a big um motivator like the good momentum was carrying me forward and that's like you know that's definitely one of the biggest takeaways from this whole experience like the good momentum that i was getting myself into really carried me out and onto all the cool stuff i'm doing today but also the opposite's true you know to the point where i was seven stone overweight and really unwell like that was just all bad momentum you know like i was eating more because i felt bad like eating worse food and more because i felt bad and that would make the condition worse which would make me feel more bad and i would eat worse food and get more overweight and then the rest would become harder but then the opposite was true like the more i was losing weight and the more exercise i was doing i could see like this is really good i'm just going to keep on rolling with it and right so they're basically these like feedback loops that are reinforcing whether positive or negative Mm -hmm. so either way there's like a momentum that happens when you do either one and you start to see results what how did you deal with like your environment with your peers like people who were around you like friends and family as you were partaking on this new journey like how did you deal with like you know maybe naysayers or even the your own thoughts that were limiting truthfully i because of those years where I'd really allowed myself to get very, very isolated, I didn't really have very many people around myself. Wow. Like, I maybe had a couple of friends that I'd stayed in touch with and mostly just like via message. Um, I would still see my parents maybe like once a week uh, or once or twice every couple of weeks. But yeah, there really wasn't much um, much feedback because there wasn't many people. <laughs> yeah, and me. like you said, you would go to the supermarket at 11 p.m. at night so yeah. that no one, you wouldn't run into anybody or anybody would see you. Pretty much. And then uh, from the few people that were, you know, still in touch with me in my small social circle then, it uh they could see the results you know like i mean they saw like i was so overweight and so unwell my skin was gray my eyes were dark and then like you know they could see that i was losing weight and i was doing better and feeling more positive and you can't really argue with results you know like whenever they see i'm doing better even though i'm sure my parents were worried about me like going into the juice fast and worried about me going to peru uh they it was hard to argue with the results and it was motivating me to do something really good. So yeah, uh, the feedback was always positive. And then I don't really, 
know why whenever I look back on it and whether it was just intuition or not but I I really had total faith in what I was doing the whole time like I never like double like I was never questioning myself I always felt like this thing to per, going to Peru is exactly the right thing this juice fast is exactly the right thing and and that might be as much part of like everything that I did my like faith and belief and honestly I'm not a hundred percent sure where that came from but there's definitely a part of it that was hearing anecdotal evidence and other people's stories and probably why it's so important for me today to be doing the likes of this podcast and sharing my story because there might be some person on the other part of the world that like damn if that big fat sick guy can do it then hell you know maybe i can as well and not do the same things necessarily but might just start taking good actions for themselves yeah that's what's pretty fascinating about other people that have gone before us who've gotten the results you know i talk about the four mile uh four minute mile effect with the roger bannister effect of the first person ever to break the four mile four minute mile mark um and so once he did it which they thought was humanly impossible Mm -hmm. then like within like a a month or a couple of months like other people broke the record as well so i think that there's so much power to being like someone in your community that actually uh, gets their results and then actually makes you the expert because you like you said the results don't lie you know and they speak for themselves so now let's fast forward to peru yeah (laughs) the biggest part of the journey probably yeah yeah that's uh by the time i was going to peru i'd lost like 90 percent of all of that weight wow crazy you know like in basically five months lost the rest of it like in the time in peru basically and uh yeah I was suffering no symptoms at that time anymore of the condition or or anything you know I was going out there feeling completely fine and so at this point you're pretty much symptom free lost all the weight no pharmaceutical no pharmaceuticals and what made you decide to not cancel the trip if you're like oh I don't really need to go there to help heal this condition (laughs) I still like paid you know I think it was a there was a certainly a deposit that was non-refundable but that you know that wasn't the reason that i didn't go i I still intuitively knew that this was going to be really good for me and uh, even like i think there was something in my head and i'm just remembering this from like the first uh, plant medicine ceremony that we went into it was like i wanted to cement what had gone on in my body like i wanted to lock it in you know like i was feeling better but you know i was only feeling better for like five months at this stage and probably only totally better for maybe like three months so uh yeah i think i wanted to go out there and really it was just like another good thing i could do for myself and after all the other good things i was doing for myself and yeah it was uh i don't think i ever it ever even crossed my mind to like not go just because i was feeling better yeah did you have a fear that this stuff would just resort back to your original state at any point uh not because of the trip to peru but there was definitely something in the back of my mind that said like you know these symptoms could come back at some stage but it wasn't a common thing that i was thinking like i just kept feeling like if I just keep doing this good stuff for myself, then why would the symptoms come back? So. Yeah, so now you have all this momentum, you mm-hmm. created a new habit. Mm-hmm. And so now you're in Peru. What's going on there, man? Yeah, well, that was a hell of a trip. <laughs> um, yeah, it was like a day and a half 
getting to the center just traveling i uh had to go i think via amsterdam to lima the capital of peru and then from lima to iquitos which is a good fact about this place it's the biggest city in the world with no roads to it so you can only fly or boat in there (laughs) and then from there like a 30 minute maybe an hour boat ride into the middle of the jungle and yeah it's like full-on indiana jones style (laughs) it felt like it especially considering like i'd spent four years in an apartment you know like not doing anything so what seems like a pretty epic adventure to most people probably like even to me seemed like even bigger still. yeah so you i mean you were in your apartment for four years you worked uh from home on your computer yeah, yeah. so that was your other lifestyle aspect of what probably you know just being indoors sitting on your butt for hours yeah and yeah th- i mean i think that's what definitely was a huge contributor to the me getting the condition in the first place sitting behind the computer for like 14 hours a day because uh for whatever reason it's socially acceptable to be a workaholic you know <laughs> that right uh, people's in fact not even socially acceptable people see that as a positive thing like oh scott's so driven he's a young kid who's going to make it as a graphic designer which was what i did in the past and uh yeah ultimately that to me getting very sick but um yeah i uh yeah i got out to that point in peru after just locking myself away for all of those years and yeah hell even the journey was like a a big scary experience to go through just yourself right yeah yeah like i had to uh, in lima there was like a 12 hour stopover between uh me arriving there and then getting the flight basically the next morning to iquitos the city and uh, i thought maybe naively oh it's okay i'll just sleep in the airport there but it was a pretty small airport considering it was a capital city there was nowhere to lie down really and you know in a strange country that i didn't know and i was thinking like oh, if i fall asleep you know people are just gonna maybe take my passport or money or i didn't really know what was going on so um i couldn't sleep got about like halfway well maybe not even maybe like four hours into this like 12 hour stay in the airport i didn't sleep at all on the plane going over probably because i was nervous and yeah (laughs) at some point like some peruvian taxi driver uh came up to me he's like oh my friend you look very tired i can find you a a, like a hotel or something and i felt like pretty I felt like, oh, you know, am I going to get in trouble here? If, you know, I don't know where this guy's going to take me, but I just went for it. I was desperate. I was exhausted. Right. And I'm sure he probably drove me like around Lima three times before getting to <laughs> yeah. the hotel. But, you know, he was a savior, really. He got me a place to get some sleep before the flight the next day. And he definitely freaked me out a few times. He's like, oh, do you like some company this evening, my friend? <laughs> and do you like Peruvian ladies? <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So he thought I was pretty, I don't know, he foresaw the hangry and horny podcast coming along and yeah yeah exactly because he looked at you like hey gringo you know like this (laughs) guy can be taken advantage of which is a lot of fear for people that are traveling and it's totally legitimate yeah Uh, what you're touching upon is i guess you somehow like trusted your intuition and Mm. we'll get into like maybe flow reality a little later right but like you just saw that this was an opportunity that presented itself and you know you're like hey i'm just gonna go for it totally and there was definitely a few scares along the way like i mentioned you know every 
started uh suggest you know i don't know i i basically long story short he was a savior and got me to like a nice little hotel probably cost me 10 times more than it needed to but you know what like i mean he's living in maybe in a more poor part of the world he could do with the money yeah they're just great salespeople, right so he was yeah. trying to like upsell you on all <laughs> kinds of different things like ladies and some yeah. good food and some like you know expensive hotel so he picked me up the next day and in the morning and everything which was fine, oh nice which was awesome got me back to the airport in time and yeah flew me out to iquitos and even at that time in the airport, like I'd met some of the people who were going to the retreat center as well. Like Lima Airport, people coming in, like it, it's small airport, but busy. And most people are going in to like go to, you know, Machu Picchu or all of the other more popular places in Peru. But yeah, like this um, uh, a girl came over to me, Emily, who was going to the retreat and was like, are you going to Spirit Quest? <laughs> and like, that was the name of the sanctuary. I have no idea to this day how she had any. Yeah, you had it written across your forehead, right? I guess so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, it's like, uh, how does that happen, right? Because I've had the similar experiences traveling to these remote places in the world where you do bump into people that are somehow doing the same thing you're doing. And it's like, we don't like carry a cardboard sign saying, like, this is what I'm doing on the trip. <laughs> like, somehow we just like, vibe off each other and, and it just happens yeah the connection just uh she just knew and uh, it was really cool so yeah she was somebody i made a really good connection with there and and her partner and yeah just the people that i met there that was like as life-changing as being in the amazon or any of the plant medicine stuff it was the first time in my life that i'd spent like i think it was three weeks all together by the time you include the travel with people that wanted the best for themselves but each other as well and for sure i'd had people around myself like that in my life uh but like maybe one or two here or there to something totally different to be in a group of like 20 people like that and uh yeah that was every bit as transformative as going to like the one of the most beautiful places in the world the amazon jungle or the plant medicine treatments just like that sense of community so that's been a, a big drive for me and everything I've been doing since to build that here mm -hmm. locally and, and online as well, you know, thankfully because of like podcasts and, um, you know, social media, we can like grow it online as well as in person. And it was thankfully, you know, through online communities like the Wim Hof Method community, and I'm sure we'll get to that, yeah. that we even connected and yeah. set the ball rolling for everything that i'm doing now but the first taste of that was definitely in peru and yeah so you know that aspect of community you described was also very healing to see yeah. that other people in the world were also dealing with their own issues and looking for a solution mm -hmm. and their path was to this center in peru so you guys take this medicine like go through the process of how this works and like who's guiding you through all this yeah so the medicine within it contains something called dimethyltryptamine and it's i sometimes struggle to find the right way to articulate this that won't turn some people off but it contains like this dimethyltryptamine is the strongest hallucinogen known to man you know it causes um 
what some people would refer to as like hallucinations but other people might describe as like a spiritual experience for me <laughs> i'll just i'll give you my story and people will interpret however they interpret it i'm trying to let go of what other people think about it all i can do is share my experience but we got to this retreat center so like 20 or so people there was two main shamans so uh, there was uh, an old Peruvian shaman called Don Robert, and he worked with his family, Don, uh, Don Eliana, uh, who was his wife, and his son. So they were chiefly dealing with the plant medicine ayahuasca, which is native to the Peruvian Amazon. There was also the other shaman that I mentioned there, Don Howard, and he uses the plant medicine Huachuma, which is sometimes known as San Pedro, a cactus medicine. And he'd been living in Peru for like 20 years at this point and using that medicine, which comes from up in the Andes originally, the, the Chavin culture, and found its way into the Amazon as well with those people. Uh, but before that, you know, he'd worked with the plant medicines native to North America, where he comes from. Uh, so like peyote and um other yeah so it's indigenous people of the americas really and yeah they uh, they were the ones who were involved in administering the medicine uh just even from the most practical sense how it kind of worked was like one evening on one evening off in terms of like when they would do the ceremonies with the plant medicines and they would take us into this big circular hut called a uh, maloka it was a wooden hut and it was kind of screened in so you know there's mesh screen around the outside so that like you weren't eaten alive by mosquitoes during the the ceremony but you heard all the noise of the jungle around you like throughout it they would sit you around on mats around the outside of the like yeah around the e inner edge of the maloka and you would be called up one by one and there was a little like uh altar i guess that the shaman sat in front of you would look don robert the peruvian shaman in the eyes and he would get from that how much that to pour from you you know he would look into your eyes and decide okay this guy needs half a cup or a full cup or he would just kind of know determine the dosage totally and uh yeah you would set they said that it was very important to set an intention for what you wanted to get out of the experience so that's been huge for, for me like ever since and uh, I came to understand a lot more about that and how that was part of the Peruvian uh, plant medicine culture and maybe wider culture. But uh, just to even talk about that, my first experience that night, it was all about this idea of like cementing this good health that I'd built and the positive momentum and, you know, making sure that whatever positive had happened within my body, whatever switch had gone on, that that was locked in place and I was going to continue to feel better. So I drank the medicine, set that intention, went up there like super positive and everyone, uh, at least a couple of people had mentioned to me that it was a really positive thing for them to see me going up there smiling and like, you know, being positive and, and then went and lay down on my mat, not knowing what to expect at all because uh, probably important to say at this point, like I had zero any... Uh, experience with anything hallucinogenic or any psychedelics or anything like that you know this was two feet in at the deep end with the strongest hallucinogen known to man mm -hmm. so uh, i went laid back down on my mat zero idea what to expect and uh, 
yeah, truthfully, I don't think there's anything I could even say now that would probably do any justice to what that experience is like for someone else who'd never experienced it. But yeah, whenever people say hallucinations or a spiritual experience, it feels like something's coming to you and whether it's like a vision or a knowing or an understanding things started happening (laughs) and uh interestingly for me absolutely nothing to do with about my literal physical pain you know it was nothing to do with like joint inflammation or or the physical healing in my body i was taken back to like different relationships that i'd had with women in the past so I don't even mean like in a romantic way, even though that was part of it, but you know, like women as friends and like in a place of authority and maybe how I had had bad relationships with women in the past. And uh, I went to an all boys school whenever I was like 12 or uh, 11 or 12. And it's just like so unhealthy, you know, <laughs> like uh, wh- why would they, I still don't understand. Separate you. Yeah. yeah. So boys and girls, yeah. Give me like a really, I just didn't have a very good relationship with females, I suppose. And this first plant medicine journey, all this stuff was coming up for me and like how, like I had different relationships with different women in the past relating in different ways and how that was affecting my day to day you know, actions and how I would relate to women. And interestingly, they call ayahuasca the, you know, it's like a female plant energy and, you know, in their belief in Peru at least anyway. And, you know, I figured that out in hindsight that maybe that this was some work that I needed to do to heal my relationship with women before this, what they call like female plant energy could actually Mm -hmm. do any more to help me. So... Yeah, that was like completely took me left field, which is really cool because what a great first experience because it allowed me to see something within myself that I didn't know consciously was going on. So it was like on so many levels really powerful because it showed me the the strength of the medicine that it could reveal something to me that I didn't know consciously myself. And whether that's just because it like hits some part of the subconscious or whether that's some kind of message from from outside or external or whether that's all even the same thing, I suppose it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So, I mean, this goes back to like the whole, you know, five richest family and the conspiracy theories of all these different like industries. Yeah. Um, it, it's like, okay, that may be true, may not be true. The same with the plant medicines. Like you don't know where this message is coming from but Mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is you're receiving this message Mm -hmm. and it like changed your life yeah it actually gave you something to put the rubber to the road so whether we are living in some kind of conspiracy matrix or you know the plant medicine uh we don't know where that message came from it gave you something that you can apply to what you do know in this life that you're living right now Totally. I think Joe Rogan mentioned uh, something like that one time. It's like whether you have a hallucination where some magical dragon comes and tells you some truth that you can apply to your life or whether a literal dragon appeared and told you something that you can apply to your life. What's the difference if you're applying something good to your life? So that was the case for me. I don't really care what that message, like where it's coming from, but that and the subsequent plant medicine treatments that that I went through and the other things that were 
kind of revealed to me it feels like that's like the best word to use it was like you know uh, the other knowledge that I was given and understandings that I was given you know it doesn't matter where it came from but I'm doing my damned hardest to make that a reality in the world and yeah uh, the the f- continuing so uh, there was five ayahuasca ceremonies all together and there was various lessons in like courage and bravery and um and then the final two in particular like i felt was just almost like breaking me down a little bit like i was not that i ever had a really bad experience but i was just really tired and like drained and spent so much energy already and it kind of really set me up very well for the next uh, medicine treatment which was something that i uh, mentioned before called huachuma and instead of taking this medicine and just going sitting around the edge of the the maloka on the mats they would give you this medicine in the morning and you would go out on an adventure into nature into the jungle <laughs> so that was really cool yeah and, and you're at a fatigue state so mm. you know this is like a test to see what you're like truly made out of mm. and you know using somewhat of your will to push through and persevere so yeah. you get given this Wachuma and they're like, go on an adventure. <laughs> yeah. What happened then? <laughs> so it actually felt really uplifting, to be honest. Like, I think I was just kind of glad that the whole ayahuasca process was done. And it was also kind of sad as well because uh, there was a bunch of people who were there at the retreat center just for the ayahuasca treatment. So they'd left at the end of that. And there was some, there was only maybe like, I don't know, two-thirds or a half of the group that remained for the Huachuma treatment. And then there's even a couple of people who came just for the Huachuma and weren't there for ayahuasca. So, um, yeah, there was definitely a certain sadness because, like, these people that I just, like, bonded with massively through going through those plant medicine treatments and then we'd all sit around the next morning and talk about what we'd experienced. You get massively bonded with those people and then even within those 10 days and uh, again this was another lesson for me that i would come to use later in like you know how bonding it is to go through a stress together and you know come through the other side but uh yeah so there was a sadness as some of the people were leaving uh but it also kind of was like a there was a freshness to it as well you know there's a couple of new people arrived and things really shifted and it was a chance to go on this adventure with a new a different plant medicine and i think like that first plant medicine treatment with Huachuma was one of the best days of my life to be honest it was so positive and uh we we went and visited one of the tribes and yeah there was a lot of visiting different tribes in in the jungle whenever we were treated with Huachuma and the warmth and love from the tribes and playing with the children you know uh during the whole experience on one of the other Huachuma treatments, we got to go and swim in this, you know, little lake that they had that was really special to them and, and revered. And yeah, it was just, if the ayahuasca last couple of treatments in particular broke me down, like this really lifted me up. And it was on the morning of the first Huachuma treatment, like it just kind of came to me even before I'd taken the medicine that the biggest most important thing i took from that whole time was that what had happened with my health felt like nothing short of a miracle like you know i was told i was never going to get better and then here i am better you know and not suffering any symptoms and lost all of this weight that there was a responsibility upon me with that that i just couldn't let that end with myself 
and there was one of the guys there who was a health coach with the Czech Academy, Stian, uh, from Norway. And yeah, I was just really inspired by him and what he was doing. And I felt like oh, I've got this amazing story that, you know, in transformation with my own health. I'm going to go back home and, and train at the same place that he did. And, and go the Paw Czech Institute. Yeah, exactly. The, the European Czech Academy and go back and help people. So yeah it was amazing and uh that came to me before the first Huachuma treatment on that morning i still remember sitting around talking to stian and ryan there and and it's just coming to me and then going up to the altar and then with this medicine in particular don howard said that it was really important in particular to remember this idea of reciprocity so like to ask for something but to uh, be willing to offer something back and I still remember setting this intention of wanting to go back and help you know people in the world and you know people who may be in the same sort of position that I was or even not necessarily as bad but you know help people who were who were unwell but also offer the betterment of to people who were already healthy and uh, in order uh, in exchange for that you know like i was willing to to offer up sacrifice of the the inevitable hard times of like starting a new business and having to deal with like the financial strains of that and like the stresses and the late nights of, of business I, like i foresaw all, all of this already and uh so I, I offered up my commitment in the face of that uh, and asked for the ability to be able to have an impact in the world and, and help other people and the the shaman don howard said to me you know he we went through a little ceremony just before drinking the medicine and he just quietly said to me like it's a noble path you want to take brother and I, you know he could have said something similar to everyone for all i knew but in that moment it felt like he knew exactly what i was you know processing he looked me dead in the eyes with these like crystal clear blue eyes that i've only ever seen you know it, i've only ever experienced someone looking at me in that way from him and the first time i met wim hof as well of all people so yeah. uh yeah he uh he looked me in the eyes and told me that it was a noble path that I wanted to take. And it felt like there was some understanding of like that I got that it was going to be hard, but I was going to do it anyway. And, yeah, uh, and somehow magically this guy can read you. It felt like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, maybe that's something that only I'll ever truly know that feeling of. But all I can do is express that it felt exactly like that in the moment. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, those remaining ceremonies were were just really built me up to a point where I came back and and wanted to to study and really committed to to going to study at the Czech Academy, like I'd mentioned, and that was the first step onto the whole Causeway Living journey, whether I knew it or not at that time. Right, right. So, I mean, before that, did you have any kind of background in uh, human health or physiology, anatomy? no nothing at this stage so it was quite daunting to be honest and especially whenever i went there to start studying like everyone else had a was either like a personal trainer or like i was probably the only person there who had had no background in this kind of work so i, I remember <clears throat> phoning back home and um you know saying that i found it really difficult and like you know there's a lot about anatomy that i didn't understand at that time and yeah it was a real challenge to be honest because it you're was learning so a new language essentially 
basically yeah and uh, I felt a bit out of my depth but you know I stuck to it and I got the qualification and uh yeah that was the interesting part I was given a piece of paper saying you're a health coach now <laughs> but uh didn't really know what to do with it if I'm being honest so yeah it was another like year that had passed uh where I had this piece of paper saying you're a health coach and not really sure what to do with that and probably Rem- needed that time to just like adjust to having a healthy body again and, right like, right integrate some of the lessons that had come you know through the plant medicine experience so you're already reading my mind right so <laughs> there you go. yeah because i was gonna ask you like what were you doing in that year since the plant medicine journey and and so you essentially answered it pretty much i mean there there is a little bit more to it like within a couple of weeks of getting home from Peru, uh, I met a really amazing woman who um, I ended up in a, a relationship with for over three years. Just uh, like that. Just like that, yeah. I came home, uh, met Carolina, and um, yeah, just like the exact right person at the right time for me in that moment. And kind of everything that I, I'd ever dreamt of and wanted like the most beautiful woman and uh she was really sweet and kind and uh really understanding of my journey and yeah we we had like an awesome time like she just moved to ireland as well and um yeah i guess we both came from we probably became quite like overly like codependent i guess because she was in a new country had no connections here as i'd mentioned before i was like i didn't have many connections here because i'd isolated myself and um yeah but in that time and place you know it was great it served a purpose i i learned a lot from that and uh yeah i kind of adjusted to maybe went through a lot of healing work and my relationships with women you know through that experience and yeah just kind of got used to a normal life was continuing on my graphic design work not make you know making a living just about but not like um crazy successful and i wasn't i was still i was still putting effort into that but i was also continuing education for myself in like alternative health practices so you know i'd done like different fasts and and other things that i'd found out about online because you know, I'd gone and done the Czech qualification, but um, I was still really interested in other alternative health practices because they'd brought so much to my life. So the after about a year of like trying different things just for my own benefit, that's when I came across the Wim Hof method. And I'm reading my mind again. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, that was that was incredible. And the thing that spoke to me about that after watching the, the Vice documentary about Wim and listening to the Joe Rogan podcast again with Wim Hof the first time he was on there. So Wim Hof, the Iceman, has broken like over 20 uh, Guinness Book World Records. Yeah, yeah, that's important to, to explain who he is. So yeah, he's just the exactly the Iceman, you know. He's got over 20 world records related to... Uh, different physical challenges so you know running a marathon in the arctic circle barefoot or running a marathon in the desert without water all of these crazy thing, feats that he could put his body through you know through controlling the nervous system and all through breath work and the cold and the right mindset so this was fascinating to me but the most fascinating thing about Wim and his work and all that he had achieved was 
the fact that his breath work practice was able to reduce inflammation in the body and you know the the radboud study that offered uh, credibility a peer-reviewed scientific study uh, that they did on whim at first on his own and then eventually with whim and a bunch of people that he trained in the method that they injected with an endotoxin so the inflammatory proteins from e coli and they had this like control group of people who'd been uh, injected with the endotoxin and 100% reliably, you know, it's going to put high inflammation in the body, people throwing up or worse again, <laughs> sweating. And uh, of course, you know, in the control group, you know, it was 100% reliable. They're all throwing up and feeling awful. And in the, the Wim Hof group, they're all huffing and puffing and feeling awesome. <laughs> so and no sign of flu-like symptoms. Yeah, exactly. So that really jumped out to me is like something, if I'm being honest, initially came to me like with a, it was like a prevention mindset. So I sort of felt like, you know, if my symptoms ever come back again, you know, this is still only well, like a year and a half since starting the the whole juice fast thing. I uh, thought that if my symptoms ever come back, this can just be another good tool that I can use to reduce inflammation and um, so I don't have to go back on those pharmaceutical drugs again. And uh, yeah, I went into it with that mindset, but it very quickly changed from prevention to optimization. Whenever I noticed my cardiovascular fitness greatly improved, my mental well-being improved, like... Even in that year after I came back from Peru, like even though my mental well-being had greatly improved through that, like it was still like really a roller coaster for me. I was still like in a huge transitional phase and knowing that I wanted to do something good in the world, but not really knowing how to do it. And like I was, you know, still having a lot of struggles at this stage. So uh, that really helped me improve my mental well-being and uh, how I dealt with stress better. And then the other thing that I found from the Wim Hof method was like the first time that I'd come across the same sense of community that I found in Peru since coming home. So yeah, tribe of people. So finding the others and yeah. yeah, people that are on a similar path as you. Exactly. And yeah, like I said, it was the first time that I was able to find like a group of people like that initially just online and uh yeah the first time i made that kind of happen in person was in san diego or like la costa near san diego yeah and carlsbad <coughs> carlsbad that's yeah. right yeah northern san diego north county yeah so uh i was going out to at this stage like i mentioned uh, you know i'd had the health coaching qualification didn't know what to do with it was still doing graphic design work and my brother gave me the opportunity to come work with him and do like travel around to different places but just still working on my laptop with him and that trip was going to go via san diego or you know california and then we're going to go to china and then thailand and i remember at that time we'd got connected online through a mutual friend david david gilmore yes yeah that's yeah. right uh he i posted something like a week after starting the 10-week online wim hof method course i posted up the bit like the vice documentary and said you know for accountability i've been doing this for a week i want to see it out all the way through and i'm just saying that publicly so that you know i'm holding myself accountable to to stick to it and he saw this and then made the connection mentally to to you you know somebody that he'd met through the london real academy and uh yeah you were renowned within that uh, 
group of people for being the Wim Hof guy, right? Like having well practiced it and <clears throat> getting to know that inside and out. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, David made the connection, put us in touch. And I think I'd sent like a message before, like at some point asking a question about the online course, but um, it wasn't until like I was coming to the end of the 10 weeks, I noticed that you posted a picture at San Diego Cryotherapy Center. Yep. And I was like, oh, that's the place that I'm going, <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. So I reached out and was like, you know, let's grab lunch whenever we get there because I'd been in touch and yeah, we'd had, like, you know, spoken a little bit, but nothing major. And uh, yeah, we uh, we got together for lunch at omni la costa i think right yeah exactly omni yeah it's pretty wild yeah it was it was pretty trippy because you know because of the wim hof community mm-hmm. um people were reaching out to me including you yeah and and it's been like such a huge uh impactful thing in my life to be part of a tribe of people that were you know on a similar path that wanted to optimize our our lives and Mm -hmm. you know the message that Wim was you know teaching was just like health happiness and and what like love or yeah yeah (laughs) you know so essentially there were other people that were having these similar stories where they were getting better from their conditions that were you know some sort of symptom of illness and they were having all these profound effects including myself and this also helped me discover something deeper in myself that um you know we've lost touch because of the modernization as we talked about earlier in our conversation here and so when we finally met we we just had that sort of instant connection and then as we started like to get to know each other more and and um, you were sharing me your story of, you know, how you've healed mm. in your journey. And and so I, I was just like, man, this guy is awesome. We got to, like, stay in touch for sure. And, you know, we had our, like, sort of customary uh, Guinness floats, you know, <laughs> yeah. which is pretty cool because you're from Ireland. And I had spent time in Dublin before and I toured the, the, uh, the Guinness factory and had the best Guinness of my life, you know, and, like, nothing... <laughs> Uh, other Guinnesses ever since <laughs> everywhere else has been kind of like pale in comparison from the source. Yeah. So to have an actual like, you know, like like a root beer float or a Coke float with ice cream, we had it with a Guinness. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was just amazing, you know. So ever since that, we've been in touch and to see your growth, as you were saying, with your shaman, um, almost foreseeing your mm. journey and and uh, reciprocity and, and, and what you've learned and like giving this back out to the world world in form of a um, an altruistic company in which you founded, you know, through a group that I co-founded called mm-hmm. Tribe Shift. And through that, you came up with Codsway Living. Swing. Represent. <laughs> <laughs> so go into that story. Like, what was it? Um, what happened, like, during our meeting? Mm-hmm. And then uh, from from there. Yeah, so we got together for lunch and, like, just had this epic conversation that, like, you know, we basically, I don't know, maybe, like, four hours passed and it was, like, almost dinner time, right? Right. And we just went into, like, you know, kind of everything that we've talked about. Until just this slow stage. reality, right? 100%. Another dimension. Feels like it. And uh, and then you shared your story with where you were at and all, all everything that you've been through, which is fascinating as well. And just so many 
similarities about our journeys and paths and again that feeling of like someone who just wants to do better for themselves but also wants the best for everyone else and yeah it's just like this knowing that i've like found you know tribe and especially whenever you were saying to me at that time that you were set in the process at this stage of setting up tribe shift which is like a an amazing online collective of people who were doing the same sort of thing so i thought this was awesome yeah and this is based on the principles of a Maori chief that I also met through London Real Academy, you know, yeah. it was like an actual chief of a tribe in New Zealand. And uh, his name is Kepa Micah, uh, co-founded with another gentleman. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> we, uh, that's a whole other story. But anyways, um, yeah, we had the, the tribal principles of, you know, just sharing, uh, being in community, of healing and, and love, you know, kind of the same things that Wim Hof was like espousing that was gonna like help heal the planet and, you know, have all of us humans come together and protect this precious place that we live in. So, so we've, we met, we connected. Mm. And then, uh, yeah, not that long afterwards, you uh, had Tribe Shift set up and it was this great online forum of amazing people who were out there doing cool things and where I met Casper, who we've already mentioned a few times. And, uh, you know, he's basically like the head of the Wim Hof Academy in terms of teaching. And uh, it was, yeah, like yourself and Casper and some of the other guys that I'd met through that that really encouraged and inspired me to put my story online so everything that we've talked about put up the health coaching qualification i had through the czech academy and even if i didn't really know where it was going just to put it up and out there and like just to get the story out there and just do something take action you know rather than like looking at this piece of paper that i had and like going oh i don't know you know so it was just taking an action and what was that process like for you because everybody's always being told to take action everybody knows to take action but most people don't yeah and you know you as i know you as had been pretty reclusive and mm-hmm. kind of naturally introverted until you're in the right community mm-hmm. and the right sort of ambiance and then like you know the real scott riley comes out <laughs> you know so what what was it how did you um go into that process of taking action yeah so um you know i would mentioned being guided you know by friends like yourself to to do something and um yeah i had the background in graphic design so that was very fortunate that uh, i could start a process of just putting a website together and like putting my story out there and putting my qualification up and thankfully you know with the the online group you know i was able to bounce names back and forward and like ideas and i was getting this like really good like free think tank basically you know to to bounce ideas off and people who were already like well uh qualified i guess for lack of a better term to had good opinions to give through their own experience or who were already doing very well within this kind of industry and uh yeah had a lot of good guidance to to initially just start speaking my truth essentially like that's i guess if anything if there's any way to like narrow it down is just to like 
just start telling people what happened and speaking up because as you said i'm like naturally really i'm definitely a really shy and introverted person naturally it's very difficult for me even at the moment like to to speak up at times but all the best things in my life have happened whenever i have the bravery to speak up and speak my truth and yeah if you're going to boil it down to anything and take in terms of taking action it was like speak my truth openly and publicly and that in that moment just meant putting my story up online and putting my qualification up line and just putting it out there is like offering health coaching initially then in the months that passed you know i would just be documenting my journey and some of the like other health practices that i was investigating so you know whether it was like wim hof method or whether it was like maybe some of the fasts that I was doing or barefoot running, there was all these different things that I was going through on my journey while still offering health coaching. And in that time, I was going through the process of becoming a certified Wim Hof Method instructor as well, which I saw as like the longer term solution to offer people some of the same health benefits that I'd gained through more... uh, through means that aren't as practical so everyone can breathe everyone can get into a cold shower more or less you know move can move yeah not everyone can go two months without eating and fly to peru so i didn't want to be i'm not that anyone should you know whereas everyone can benefit from breathing a bit better doing some movement getting into the elements that were made to to deal with naturally and yeah a little bit of stretching yoga yeah yeah use their body essentially at the first step totally and that really integrated well with all that i'd learned in the czech academy and these six pillars of health so hydration nutrition nutrition sleeping breathing moving and thinking you know it all really tied in well with the wim hof stuff so yeah thanks to encouragement from you know yourself and others that i i put up my story online put up my qualification i pushed to become a certified wim hof method instructor and it was really from there and becoming a, a Wim Hof Method instructor that it was like the first steps to creating that sense of community at home with my Dash and Splash group that um, you've been uh, involved with and, and attended a few times. And Yeah, so you created this huge community, community of people in your, your local town of uh, Bangor. And, uh, you know, just watching you do like, you know, one of the first ones and over like weeks i mean it's been how many uh months now since you started i think we're on week 47 so we're getting close to one full year one full year right (laughs) and so you basically you know started as you and how many people showed up at the first one so the first one there was like 15 people or something which is crazy you know yeah i don't think all of them swam like maybe like 10 or so but there were some people who came just for the run and maybe to scope it out and see what happened and I remember being so nervous and like wondering how many people would turn up but there was quite a lot you know for like the first week and I guess maybe I'd underestimated how many people were just following what I was doing you know just from like putting out the blogs and offering the health coaching stuff and uh yeah there was like 15 people that first week but the most we've ever had on one occasion was this special dash and splash event that we did on the summer solstice and there was like 50 people on the beach, just like quite small beach in my hometown. And we've got some cool drone footage of it that I haven't even put out yet. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah, nice. it looks amazing. 
Yeah, so it's uh, definitely caught like media attention and uh, people from different parts of the world are like showing up to these events now and uh, including as myself and our yeah. buddy Nima over there sitting in the studio audience. What's up, Nima? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it's really neat to uh, see um, how much this grown. In fact, you actually like inspired me to start a community called Magic Flow Bus where people get together of like minds who want to create a change in their life and actually uh, actualize their potential, you know, not mm -hmm. just sit around and think about it and think what if, but here are a bunch of people that are meeting up just because it's fun to meet up in the first place and yeah. you're doing something like go into nature and, and connect with the cold and connect to breathing and connect to each other mm -hmm. and so this thing has grown and it's really neat to see you um, having um, sort of notoriety in Ireland now in different parts and hosting different Wim Hof uh, events yeah it's crazy i just got nominated for a national award for community engagement and you know to think like only well four years ago i was like way back to that part of the story where i was overweight and so sick and now you know on a short list of people who maybe you know going to be recognized nationally for for bringing people together and like i said like in peru like that was the the big thing you know to come back and build this sense of community and now it's really happening so uh yeah, that Dash and Splash event is something really special because of the people that come to it. Like you said, it's just people who want to take action, people who are willing to get out of bed on a Sunday morning and <laughs> go yeah. for a 30-minute jog and run in the pretty freezing cold Irish Sea all the way through winter as well. So Yeah, so they're basically getting uncomfortable mm -hmm. with being comfortable and mm. so basically turning it around because a lot of people are comfortable with being uncomfortable so <laughs> so you provided a platform for people to you know really start to tap into their own flow and their own like flow reality and their own um i guess sense of um themselves mm -hmm. and you know the ability to uh feel alive you know and feel yeah. a connection so um as we wrap up, like what are some things you can sort of advise people on uh, looking back at your like your sort of four years ago old self? Yeah. You know, like what what changes have you seen in yourself? And, you know, um, what could you suggest to people who are at that place where you were four years ago? I feel like that place I was at four years ago, I was still like hiding from the world and I'm still in the process of like fully expressing myself and it's still a journey. But the one piece of advice, if you can really boil it down to one thing is what we touched on earlier, like just speak your truth, like be your most authentic self. And that sounds so cheesy. Just be yourself. Yeah, just be real. <laughs> But it's, you know, it's a cliche for a reason, you know, the more authentic you can be and the more open and honest you can be, things start getting better, you know, and ever since that I had that, uh, you know, push from, from yourself and others to go out and speak my truth online and just start doing the stuff that I love doing, like going out for a run and jumping in the sea, like it's fun, like other people see that and like, I want to do that as well and yeah. That's, what do you think they see? What do they see? I think, honestly believe that people see that 
there's like fun and authenticity in it and it's liberating you know it's it's real you know in a world that's basically full of shit most of the time this is something that's real you go out into nature you really get to connect with other people in a way that the cold and the elements like strip away so many layers so like people aren't just small talking they're talking about real things there and uh going through a stress together you know which is like i said so bonding and yeah there's i think people see that connection through community through nature and then they get to connect to themselves in a way that they might never have done before in that stressful environment and yeah i think that's a really positive thing so so go out there and be your most authentic self which i totally appreciate is easier said than done uh get active outdoors with other people you know like that that's gonna strip away some layers and you're gonna find people who are yeah like really connecting to some of the same same things that we've just talked about there you know like in a really deep way and yeah find your find the others <laughs> right right i mean i started like sometimes just connecting with people online is mm -hmm. as weird as it sounds but it's just becoming more and more of a norm except that you know in the case of you know a community that we had mentioned earlier was that too many people were stuck online and not actually mm -hmm. you know taking action but just talking about ideas so as much as a positive thing is to be on Facebook or any of these social media outlets and like connect to a community, there comes a point where like you got to stop like, you know, electronically jerking each other off and choking <laughs> each other's chain and actually go out in the world and like, you know, face and with courage and bravery and, you know, taking the, the most tiniest step. I always tell people mm -hmm. is like a micro step towards the that that end goal or uh, I don't even like to use goals it's more like a vision like mm -hmm. take that one step so I've seen you do it over and over again and as well as our other friends there's this sense of like dying daily every day which is you know like an old part of your limiting self or mm -hmm. fear-based self starts to uh, die you know because you took that one first step in that direction or where you want to go in life so mm. you find um, a similar type of um, mentality for yourself yeah 100 uh, one thing that i heard professor jordan peterson this canadian clinical psychologist say was like you know, if you don't know where to start, maybe you're not aiming low enough, <laughs> you know, like take one tiny, tiny step and it might just be the thing that sets your momentum in the right direction. And we talked a lot about that, how, you know, if you're not going forward, you're going backwards. There's momentum traveling one way or another, you know, um, uh, that law of entropy, things left to themselves through the passage of time will fall apart. So you better like take some steps in the right direction and yeah any small positive step is a is a great start small steps to giant living is my company's motto so yep yeah uh anything small you can you can do for yourself can lead on to some bigger leaps you know further down the line and not to say that necessarily everyone gets to the point of climbing to the top of a snowy mountain basically in their underpants but not that everyone has to either and you know just get the momentum rolling in the right way and yeah one small action might just be the the place to start what other tools as we wrap up again like that you recommend for people to 
help them transform their lives or to get out of their rut or, or where they feel stuck. So talking about small steps, like I've got a six week online course that I'm in the middle of like revamping a little bit, but called six week shift. And it looks at building positive habits in those six pillars of health that are talked about uh, in the Czech Academy a lot. And I've also mentioned the two that see a most immediate impact in my experience if you're not already looking after these are hydration and sleep and they're two like a lot more simple than some of the other ones so sometimes it's hard to get motivation to go out for a run or to the gym especially if you're already very unfit but it doesn't take that much to like have a bottle of water sitting near you all the time or uh, being uh, showing enough dedication to self-improvement to like put the phone down maybe like an hour earlier each night and go to bed at a more reasonable time if people aren't drinking water or going to sleep at a decent hour if they start doing those two things which isn't a big ask uh, that can see a profound shift in people and i've definitely noticed that in people doing my six-week course like they get three days in they're like i feel like an entirely new person this is the best course ever and it's just because they're sleeping and drinking water <laughs> you know the rest of the stuff will like come good in time but those are the two two of the most immediate things beyond that looking into things like the wim hof method you know there is a 10-week online course for local people you know i do workshops all over the country uh been in Galway recently I'm going back down to Dublin soon I was in Oma the past weekend I uh, do workshops in the Mourne Mountains a couple of times each month and in Belfast every month so local folks can come and, and check that out learn a little bit more about breath work and entering the cold as a, a means of self-development and working on your mindset through that so it's another really positive thing to do but the one thing that you could do to help with all of that entirely is just get around the sort of people who are already integrating it in their lives you know like that sense of community find a connect with other people who are doing this stuff already and it, it's a hell of a lot easier and you get that motivation and an encouragement to do it too so find the find the others really and uh, whether that's like online or whether you've got a local community you can tap into like that's definitely got to be the the first best thing that anyone can do for themselves that's cool and uh you know the final thing i would add is that you know sometimes you do find these communities and they serve their purpose for the initial like phase as you're starting to go on to this trek yeah. of learning and then you know sometimes people mature or graduate or sometimes you're around people that you don't really like align with or uh, resonate because of differences you know we're all human so um and there's certain things that you may have like standards for that just doesn't work for you mm -hmm. you know and it's it's not something that like i for example earlier i mentioned a person that shall not be named but you know it's just an example of sometimes you go through life and you hit these like little uh ruts or mm. or blockages or or issues with other humans and it's not like for example i don't have like anything against them but to be able to value yourself and have the confidence to uh let's say um be able to move forth even if it's just yourself sometimes you know mm. so there's like benefits of being in a tribe which we've formed but at the same time it is you in the world 
um, and you're the one that's gonna have to, you know, sort of make things happen, take action, um, or in some ways, like have it come through you. But like we were talking about earlier with like Nima, you know, was like some people who were writing a book per se, like Casper, um, he, he said a discipline commitment every day just to show up and make mm-hmm. that like micro step. And then 30 days later, he had a book, right? Yeah. So you'd be surprised like what happens when you take the initiative with your own self. And as you did, Scott, you four years ago, were at that breaking point and you took that initiative because you're like, you know, I don't want to go to the end of my life and ask like, what if, mm. and like, look where that journey is taking you, man is so impressive. And your human side that I really appreciate about you is that you're like, Hey, I'm still human. I still having a hard time like mm. doing these things. I still feel insecure, like the moment before doing it. And same with me, man, like I totally insecure, but I also know what it's like on the other end. And because we've done this so many times, we and we had this support group and we were able to um, remove people that aren't as supportive, you know, because maybe they're just going through their own demons right so i just recommend to people like it's okay to like say no to people and it's okay to say no to a cult you know (laughs) um if you don't feel right uh with an individual or an organization it's okay to step out on your own and so like that's a lot of the things that we're teaching people is to become empowered so Mm. on um, another final note (laughs) where can people find you scott riley Uh, everything is on social media under causeway living so everything facebook instagram twitter all causeway living and causewayliving.com is the website how do you spell causeway living (laughs) c-a-u-s-e-w-a-y living Okay. And people can find me there and learn about all the fun stuff that we talked about today. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on Hangry and Horny, Scott Riley. Thanks again, bro. <laughs> all right, brother. Love you, man. Love you, man. Woo! That was an incredible episode with the awesome Scott Riley of Northern Ireland. Check out his website, causewayliving.com. See more about what he offers, including lifestyle changes coaching how one can become incredible in their own lives using different modalities including the Wim Hof method Scott runs workshops and retreats in the Morin Mountains of Northern Ireland he also does dash and splash which is a a weekend I think they meet up every Sunday at Bangor where he's from and people basically run, you know, a few kilometers and then they go into the ocean, the cold ocean together. So check out Scott on Instagram at Causeway Living. And uh, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to Scott for coming on to Hangry and Horny. My next shout out is my sponsors of the show, Drop an F-bomb.com or FatBomb.com. Go to their website and pick up some amazing macadamia nut butters using the promo code FLOWREAL, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L, you'll get 20% off of your first orders. 
and also check out their new oils like avocado oil and mct oil and olive oil so thank you at fatbomb.com ross and care for sponsoring the show and i want to thank my hangry and horny audience for your support keep staying hangry keep staying hungry horny and uh, see you guys on the next show. Mwah!